From WNYC, this is Money Talking. I'm Charlie Herman. Martin Screlly. Perhaps you've heard of him by another name. The man now known as Pharma Bro. The most hated man in America. An eccentric genius. He is a brash self-promoter. Is he strange? Yes. Will you find him weird? Yes. Screlly is best known and most hated for raising the price of a life-saving drug for people with compromised immune systems. He took a drug that sold for $13.50 a pill to $750, a 5,000% increase. I could see how it looks greedy, but I think there's a lot of altruistic properties to it. Because he said he'd spend that money on research for a new drug, a claim which medical experts widely derided. Well, now Screlly is on trial for securities fraud, and the eccentric former hedge fund manager just can't seem to keep himself out of the headlines. Look, attention is, is not something I'm desperate for or crave, but if it's there, you know, and I don't have to work for it and send one tweet out and it drives people crazy, um, you know, why not? This has made it very difficult to seat a jury in this case. Hundreds of prospective jurors were turned away because many said they could not be impartial. One juror reportedly said, looking at him just kind of twists my stomach, to be honest. With me are two reporters who are following the trial, Sheila Kohatkar with The New Yorker and Renee Merle at The Washington Post. And Sheila, just give me a little bit more background about Screlly. Well, he started off his career as a pharmaceutical trader, actually, at a variety of hedge funds and investment banks. But he was not a very good trader, and um, he ended up founding a couple of drug companies. He comes from a very sort of scrappy immigrant background. He's self-taught and self-made to a large extent. And he has this remarkable, uh, you know, someone compared him to Rain Man during the trial. He has this incredible ability to rattle off the chemical configurations of dozens of obscure drugs. I've never seen anything like it. So that is clearly the sort of genius that many of his investors were drawn to in spite of his personality quirks. We know about Screlly because of what he did with this drug, Daraprim, that he increased the price by 5,000%. But in the end, what happened to that particular drug? Is the price still that high? My understanding that is that it is still that high, but that he has offered discounts to a lot of buyers. And I should just quickly add, this is a strategy that is not unique to Shkreli. A lot of drug companies do this, and he just happened to get an enormous amount of attention for it. Well, Renee, what exactly then is he being prosecuted for? Well, it actually has nothing to do with what he's known for, uh, raising the price of that drug. The government is claiming that he defrauded investors. So he had several hedge funds, and they say he made some bad bets with those hedge funds. But instead of telling his investors that he had lost their money, instead he started raising more money and used their money to start a pharmaceutical company. The government's claiming basically that he committed securities fraud by not telling their his investors what he was using their money for. It sounds a little bit like a pyramid scheme, like I'm going to raise money over here to pay back my other investors. Yes, it does. And uh, while it's not nearly as big or as complex as what Bertie Madoff or someone like that did, it does have some of the similar elements to a Ponzi scheme. But we wouldn't be paying this much attention to this trial if he hadn't have raised the price of that one drug so high and he wasn't so eccentric. I would agree with that. The prosecution is basically saying that he misused about $10 million, which in the scheme of things is not nearly as big as some other schemes that we've seen. But because of his notoriety and the way that he's acted since he was charged back in 2015, it's just brought a lot of attention to this case. Well, tell me a little bit about what that behavior has been. Well, he cannot keep himself out of the limelight. And he used to be a very active Twitter user. And he was constantly on Twitter getting into fights and arguments with people bragging and boasting. He's sort of wonderfully um, lacking the shame gene. He was banned for Twitter for supposedly harassing a female journalist. So since then, he's had this very lively Facebook 
streaming campaign going on. Uh, he's done a lot of very open ranting and complaining about this case and how he thinks it's all very bogus. Didn't he call the prosecutors junior varsity? Yes, he's been downright insulting towards them, not at all following the typical playbook of a defendant on trial. And in fact, during the early days of the trial, he stormed into the court overflow room where many of the reporters are sitting with their laptops. And he ranted to them and um, said he was being blamed for capitalism and that this was totally unfair. And his lawyer had to kind of come and practically take like a cane and drag him off the stage. And since then, the judge has ordered him not to speak in or around the courtroom because he risks jeopardizing the trial and tainting the jury, which is possibly part of his plan at this point. Renee, what exactly is his defense? His victims really aren't victims. Otherwise, that the investors in his fund were sophisticated investors, had tens of millions of dollars at their disposal, and in the end, made money. So when investors came back to Shirley and said, what happened to my money that I gave you for this hedge fund? What he eventually did was give them some cash and shares in a pharmaceutical company that he started called Retrofin. This company actually ended up doing fairly well. And so some of those investors ended up making millions of dollars. Well, so it's a troubling point on some level, because are we really okay with the idea of lying and misrepresenting things to your investors if it all turns out okay in the end? The fact is, it is not legal to misrepresent your fund to your investors, to take assets out of a publicly traded company and give them to your hedge fund investors and then kind of work it all out later. That is just not permitted based on securities laws. But what he's trying to say is that the ends uh, justify the means. And that is obviously a troubling precedent to set. If the jury comes back and decides that, okay, we're okay with that, what is the implications for white collar crime? It will be an enormous embarrassment to the government, for one thing, if they lose this. And we know just from watching what's happened since the financial crisis that government prosecutors are very sensitive to public uh, losses. And it causes them to become sort of shy and more timid about bringing ambitious financial cases in the future. And this is sort of evidenced by the lack of big cases involving top executives at banks and other funds stemming from the financial crisis. Renee, you actually follow white collar cases and how they unfold. What do you think could be the implications if the prosecution fails to make the case against Skrelly? You know, there's there's an issue of just public confidence in the U.S. Attorney's Office and, and the confidence in the government's ability to keep Wall Street safe for investors. The public still wants to feel some confidence that when they're investing, whether it's with Shrelly or anyone else, that there's someone out there who's going to hold these people responsible. So given that there were so few prosecutions after the financial crisis that you couldn't get somebody like Shrelly, who's just so out there and has has made almost incriminating statements against himself in so many ways. The public confidence in government prosecutions, I think, will just continue to fall crater. Renee Merle is a Wall Street reporter for The Washington Post, and Sheila Kohatkar is a staff writer for The New Yorker. Thank you both for joining. Thank you. Thanks, Charlie. And I'm Charlie Herman, and this is Money Talking from WNYC. 